This is Amanda. And this is Rachel. And this is Vocal Perspective. Welcome back to Vocal Perspective. This is Rachel. I'm here with my co-host Amanda as always. And today we are joined by Annette Phillip, who you may best know as in her work with Women of the World. But she's also a part of the a founder and director of the Berkeley Indian Ensemble. And she's also doing this new online reflection series called Keeping It Light, which is about music and mental health on Facebook. So definitely something you should check out. And I want to say, uh, first off, just hello to Annette. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Rachel and Amanda. I'm doing doing good. I mean, I think we're all doing as good as we can, given uh, everything that's going on uh, in the world. And just grateful to be here. And thank you both for having this series. It's such a beautiful idea. And I'm really grateful. Of course. And I think we actually came up with it. We we thought about this while we were in New York at the ACA Open, which was the one that was it what the one that they won? Or was mm-hmm. the one that yes, it was the one that you all won. So I think a little bit was the the inspiration that an all female group can find some kind of success because that's been such a hot topic oh, in wow. the acapella well, world. This so, is yeah. even more of an honor in that case. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay! <laughs> so we like to start each of these with a little introduction of, of how you got introduced to music and acapella. Ah, well, the short story is no one in my family is a full-time musician. However, my parents, you know, while I was growing up both in India and in Singapore, where I spent about eight years of my childhood, they, I think, noticed very early on that I was obsessed with music in some way or the other. I would walk around the house pretending to play piano and so, you know, not knowing anything about Western music or much about Western music pedagogy, I should say. They, you know, started me in piano lessons and since I was in Singapore, I also started playing a little bit of the trumpet and recorder and that was a great introduction into the world of music but from a pedagogical perspective. However, there's one incident that is really, it stands out uh, to me in terms of how a cappella happened which Mm. is when I was really young and I'm going to date myself now (laughs) haha my parents got me a teeny teeny dictaphone and I don't know how many people know what that is but it's it's got this little miniature cassette tape inside it and so you can record you can hear back you can sing over it you can record over I mean it's only one track but still and um, you know I had this dictaphone and I, I would enjoy playing with it I would record something and play it back so there was this one day in school in Singapore that I think it was children's day in Singapore and so our teachers were singing for us the students and they started singing a song that all of us knew but there was this extra thing that they were doing and I couldn't figure out what it was and it was wrong but it was cool you know in my head it was wrong it wasn't the melody it was some other random thing that they were singing on top of it so I was like I I don't know why they were making all those mistakes, but it was kind of fun to listen to. I came home and I thought, okay, I know this song. Let me try to recreate. And so I played, you know, I sang the main melody that I knew on my dictaphone. And then I played it back. And then I tried to recreate this other random thing that I heard. And I guess that was my first introduction to harmony without even realizing it. And I just loved it. I just loved it. And I was like, wow, this actually gives me so many more ideas and it's it's got a totally different color yeah. and I just started to you know harmonize with any song that I heard on the radio or in school and I think somewhere down the line that's where my absolute obsession with you know vocal harmonies came from so thanks mom and dad for the dictaphone yeah. <laughs> so from there sort of can you take us a little bit along your musical journey what what was next for you after you sort of found that love well as mentioned my parents were really 
I think paying attention and I'm so grateful that even though they didn't know much about music pedagogy they noticed that I had this love and they started me on piano lessons and you know that opened up a whole new thing I started doing a lot of things by ear and writing and you know trying to do my own arrangements without even knowing what those words were you know like I was just making versions up of stuff uh eventually we moved back to India when I was about 11 years old and that's when you know my whole musical career kind of took a different route so to speak i was the only pianist at the time in the school and so i would get roped in <laughs> in my school to just play at every single event and that was great because i learned how to be super professional and i also learned how to pick things up really quickly and we had a very very robust choir both doing indian music and and you know global music and i think from that going to competitions and other inter school events really understanding how i could up my own level each semester or each year in terms of you know vocal agility or interpretation or even improvisation and eventually getting to a point through my school and college years realizing that the musicians in my city in delhi growing up were meeting each other in mostly competitive you know events mm. and something about that didn't sit well with uh and i felt that you know music shouldn't be a hostile activity it should be a collaborative activity and so <laughs> i brainstormed with a few of my college mates and we did a social experiment in 2003 uh where we called pretty much every musician that we had worked with in some way who we felt had a passion for this craft as well as a certain level that we felt we would be able to match uh, in terms of musical wavelength and we we tried singing joyful joyful from the, the sister act two version <laughs> yes. you know yes. will be goldberg and um lauren hill and oh my god i remember after about an hour of learning we were learning by ear because we didn't have sheet music uh and in india a lot of people don't read music so that just was such an important pivotal moment and it led to the creation of a group called artists unlimited we continued to do well actually from that day we continued to meet every day 60 of us wow. and we were doing a song a day till wow. the end of i think by the end of two weeks we had like 15 songs and then we thought okay let's name this let's rent a hall <laughs> and let's make a logo and let's just go do it so that was the birth of artists unlimited and for me that was a really really important moment to be an entrepreneur and an impresario a cultural you know impresario and someone who was learning as i was going because i was also doing the tax and the copyright and the band management and the auditioning and the marketing and of course there was you know help from a few people but i was young and foolish and was also kind of wanting to control how everything was done so yeah that was an amazing time and i think we challenged a lot of norms in society and you know the primary goal was let's do really high quality music without it being made in a competitive atmosphere and let's expose ourselves and our audience to all sorts of music that they probably wouldn't be privy to otherwise and let's also challenge the notion that music is not a feasible viable career choice it can be it totally can be and i really wanted to challenge that notion and i i'm really grateful to to feel that full circle has come around for for the people in artists unlimited because a lot of bands formed people got married from within that group and you know a lot of people from those early batches of artists unlimited are now full time musicians so it's great and it led to burnout which led me to seek external inspiration 
And that's yes. where Berkeley came in. Mm. It was a, a wish to study and explore more. The idea was to go for one semester, ended up staying there for a whole bunch more and then getting offered a faculty position. And it was just beautiful. And along that way, I met Ayumi and Women of the World and then the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. I just love hearing about all of your backgrounds. I think Women of the World is something that we desperately need and even more so watching what's happening in the world right now and in the United States, I think we need more groups like yours that not just promote diversity in race and country, but but culture. I think we desperately need that. <laughs> Get some kind of outside perspective. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the primary thing that keeps us excited in Women of the World is that we end up learning about so many cultures because the songs all have stories. Yeah. You know, and every time you learn a song from a different country, you have to engage with a person from that country if you truly want to learn deeply what the historical and sociological and political and even economic historical perspective shaped that story and the lyrics and also the way they sing and why they sing that way was it the geography was it oppression was it the war you know that made you develop this new style of singing or dancing or whatever it is and because we have to learn from other people we end up having moments to check our biases and check our preconceived notions about whatever you know it it may be that comes up and that that's very exciting plus it's just hella fun it is yes. really, I, and you're fun to watch and i feel like every time i watch your show i learn something and i feel like you're also you know you have your four cultures plus the cultures that you've picked up here in the united states but also when you sing from cultures that aren't your own it never feels like cultural appropriation because you're always you can tell that you all deeply understand what you're singing about even if it's in a language you don't know from a culture you aren't totally familiar with it's obvious and i wish more groups would do that research would understand before they just pick up a song and sing it without really understanding where it came from. Right. And I think we have to be unafraid to to try things and be unafraid to be called out if we make mistakes. I think a lot of things, even with Black Lives Matter right now, I think a lot of people are afraid about being the right kind of ally. And honestly, it's okay to make some mistakes along the way as long as you're trying. And so we've been called out by many people and we encourage that. We encourage our audience to educate us if we have not found the right places to receive that education. People come up to us and and it's great. Then we go back, study, shift our perspective and or shift, you know, do more research so that we can even be more authentic. But I think allowing ourselves to make mistakes is so great, you know, and it's such an integral part of being a musician. Absolutely. And I think you learn better from that. You know, if, if you go through and you're just like, okay, well, I'm right all the time, you don't really grow. But when you make a mistake, you learn from it. <laughs> Or at least you can. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Well, and I wanted to bring up that education aspect because I feel that's one of the things that Women of the World does really well. And I know that, and very often it is you personally, I feel like that I've seen speaking to the educational elements of the songs that you guys sing. I just think you guys do such a really beautiful job of bringing us along on that educational journey that you guys have been on to get to the point where you are in, in understanding the song and it's sort of greater meaning. Thank you. I I so appreciate that. I think essentially, if learning can be about 
fun and exploration and experimentation rather than being right or rather than being for a grade or for approval or to seem like XYZ, then it opens you up because then your ego isn't tied into the fact that you have to seem correct or you have to seem all-knowing. I think that also allows you to not appropriate because you do study. You know, you come into it assuming you know nothing and therefore you must study before you can take something forward and you know you you seek and welcome feedback so yeah i think it's ultimately i even more than education and i feel this as a formal educator also that my classes are much more about opening doors and exploration rather than you know me sharing knowledge that only i have that you are privileged to <laughs> you know learn from me i don't see it that way in fact it's such a two way or even multi way street teachers are always learning from their students and so i think explore instead of even educate would be be my take on it or the endeavor the intent Yeah. In that vein, I I would really love to talk a little bit about your initiative with mental health and music because I feel like, first off, like it combines one of the things that is so important to us as part of the show, which is music, but also just in this time of such great anxiety and uncertainty that there's so much unknown and there's a lot of struggle with mental health. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe educate me like from a selfish perspective. I, I would love to learn more about that. Yeah. Thank you for asking about that. So, this actually it came about I would say the the physical manifestation of it or the you know the official manifestation of it came out during lockdown however my sort of love and I think our global need to talk about mental health has been present for a long time and and also from my own experiences of trauma of injury of you know discrimination that I've probably faced and or whatever life experiences have shaped me into being very i think aware of how much i even self sabotage or i see students crippling under self doubt or even just bands you know not knowing how to read each other and how to communicate with each other and that leading to bands breaking up that leading to the loss of professional opportunities because maybe we didn't read a nuance that we ought to be more open to so all that preamble to say that during lockdown about a week into the official US lockdown one of my colleagues from Berkeley reached out and said hey i've been to you know some of your sessions and your workshops where you've conducted work with teachers or with students and i've liked sort of the vibe that you brought would you like to do something during lockdown and it can it can be as many times as you want or as long as you want and the idea was a lot of our berkeley students since i teach at berkeley college of music and our faculty are grappling with this overnight shift into a remote paradigm so could you do something and that's sort of where the initial idea came from it really grew from that and i just did my 61st session today so i was initially doing it seven times a week then my partner steven begged and said please don't do the seven days a week at 8:45 <laughs> in the morning because you know i kind of i do a lot of research about each session before i share it even though it's a 10 to 15 minute live broadcast that i do on facebook and insta and now on youtube it takes a lot of time because i also then respond to comments and stuff so the idea is it's called keeping it light and it's a time for reflection and centering and it can be interpreted in any way that suits you that day so for some of us we just need to not take ourselves too seriously or for some others it could be keeping it light like really keeping 
the light, whatever that light is for you, whatever it is, whether it's baking or whether it's, you know, making Moroccan food like Amanda and your family are doing, or it's, you know, meditating or it's whatever, calling your friends, whichever way you can keep that light replenished and nurtured, go for it. So what I've been doing lately, and it's it's turned into a community of its own because people have started tuning in daily and sharing very deeply personal things as well. And it's not just music. I think music and mental health is just my thing. Keeping it light is more about mental pivots. So for instance, can we stop being compulsive apologizers? Can we say thank you instead of sorry? And how does that shift things for you? Even when you're sharing with, like if I call my mom and I'm sharing with her and I'm venting about my day and then say, oops, I'm so sorry for wasting your time. Actually, instead of that, you know, where I'm putting like guilt and fear and shame and all these things coming into it, why can't I say thank you for holding space for me? Or even for teachers, even for band members, you know, if you're making mistakes, thank you for allowing me to grow instead of I'm sorry, I'm messing up, you know, and it it changes something. It changes how you approach yourself. It changes how people approach you. It makes you, I think, also more compassionate as a person. So mental pivots like that, progress versus perfection, or today's was actually about the subtle difference between satisfaction, contentment, success, and happiness. And which one can you live in more? And which one can you choose? Because you can choose. That's sort of the long, short pawns answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so powerful. I I really like I'm living a lot in this space of a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. and, And even just that comment that you made about apologizing, I do that all the time. Do that all the time. And it is, I don't know that I'm really apologizing for existing or for being myself, but that's definitely something I feel like I'm going to take in and I'm going to think about a lot. Yeah, because words are powerful, right? And I think what we say over and over to ourselves, it actually does shift our DNA. I mean, there's studies about this, this actual scientific study about the power of words, the power of thought and how thought is actually shaping your DNA as you progress. So there's science to it. It's not just... <laughs> who knew music Woo! and science work together? <laughs> I know, who knew? What a, what a concept. <laughs> I would love to talk a little bit about sort of how you see things moving forward in terms of of music, in terms of ways that we can connect to each other in music when we can't be with each other physically in some instances or closely together in most instances. It's actually a a very beautiful time of exploration. I think, first of all, a lot of people are using this time to study and not that that's the only thing that's important. However, there's a lot of new collaborations that are coming about despite the social distancing and or physical I should say physical distancing there's a lot of new collaborations that are coming up I just actually finished recording for a film in Japan and you know they have a choir in Japan and then a choir in the states of many different people and I don't know necessarily that that opportunity would have come up but it did you know it was really interesting it's I think cross-cultural collaboration has suddenly there's a spurt let's let's put it that way because we can because people are realizing that there is a way to record there is a way to professionally mix and you know write things and also communicate in different ways I think it's a beautiful challenging time for music educators and I'm saying this especially from a you know institution like Berkeley we are completely revamping what a remote paradigm musical pedagogy has to look and feel like and how we can actually go much further than a Zoom call where we discuss or where every project is you know I'm sending you a Pro Tools session and then you record your part and but much deeper than that like how can we 
think about performance spaces differently? How can we create musical experiences both for our participants and for our audience that really engage you where you don't just feel like you're sitting on Zoom and watching someone, but you put in the effort to design an experience audio-visually using maybe animation, using graphics, using Zoom choreography. I mean, it's doable, using special effects and picking music that can be crafted in a very specific way considering we can't be in the same room. Like, it's such an amazing time to innovate. I'm actually seeing this time as very exciting and very pivotal. I, I think we're going to be changing higher education. I think we're going to change how music is consumed. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, no one's going to listen to an hour of people on Zoom. Well, we frequently listen or watch two-hour movies. So how can we change concerts into something that's as engaging? It will mean a lot more back-end. It will mean us learning new skills. I don't know what the future is and I think that's the coolest part about it. I think that it's going to just evolve. What do both of you think is coming up for the future, especially for choral or acapella? For me, I mean, I'm a teaching artist too, so we've had to, usually we're in elementary schools and that will probably be the last place we get to go back to. So we've had to rethink how we do an assembly without being there. And one of the biggest pluses to our group as compared to other acts on the roster is how engaging we are with the kids, how they get to physically experience our show. So having to think about how we do that without being in person has been a really challenging but awesome thought process. And then for me, I have several groups that I've been singing with for years. And most of the groups have said, you know, maybe we'll put together a little thing here or there. But for me, it's been doing things that I wouldn't have otherwise done. Like you said, the cross-cultural, I joined up with the stay-at-home choir that's organized by the new baritone of the Swingles, and I'm singing with a thousand people. I can't yeah. wait for this track to come out because it's it's just cool to think about singing with these people from all over the world that I probably wouldn't have had time to do had I been out doing our normal, especially in the spring. Springtime for acapella is so busy, so to have that time to kind of reflect and also think about what's most important, I think going back into it whenever we're allowed to go back into it, even dip our toes back in, I have a much different perspective of what's actually important, which I think is a bonus coming out of this. Yes, we lost a lot of money. Yes, we missed out on being on stages. We had to cancel international trips. And I know that you all had to, too. So there was a lot of disappointment. But I think the longer this goes on, the more I'm like, no, I've learned some things philosophically, but also musically. And I think at the end of it, I'm hoping that I'll be a stronger musician. I'm hoping that my groups will be stronger and have a healthier perspective on what we do and why we do it. Totally. And also, you know, coming back into once performance spaces open, I don't know if you both saw, but just yesterday, I think in Spain, in Barcelona, they did a concert in one of the opera houses and they filled it up with plants. Every, that was so awesome. <laughs> every seat has a plant on it. So they played at the concert for plants and it's just giving so many people joy. I mean, it's just seeing that visual is giving people joy. We get to. I don't like to say we're forced to. We get to rethink this. We get to reshape this. And we can actually look at so many of the things that might even have been discriminatory and or giving some people an unfair advantage or perpetuating certain practices that may have been less than healthy. We get to rethink that and reshape it. And I, Amanda, I totally agree with you because what's important has come through. 
you know i think a lot of people are slowing down and it's a beautiful thing or even if not slowing down rethinking how they spend their energy most of us have realized we don't need to go to an office to do our work you know that itself <laughs> Yes. Praise, praise Jesus because oh my oh my word. <laughs> Rachel and I usually work from home, you know, aside from the music stage work, I'm doing most of my work from home and I think a lot of people just thought, "Oh yeah, you stay at home in your pajamas and it's so easy and there's this and there's that." And I think not only are companies figuring out that people can still be productive but from home, but I also think that everyone when they do go back to the office will have a little bit more respect for the people that are working from home and what the challenges are there and how it feels. It can be so isolating and that hurts and you know not to mention the stress of being home and I know usually when I work from home I don't have a child running around but in the summertime I do and I think there's going to be a lot more respect for that moving that's on that's beautiful think. that's a great point yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's nice that we get to learn about each other. And yeah, the, the opera house with the plants was awesome. And last week I watched Sweet Honey and the Rock brought together a huge concert. And we actually, instead of asking people to listen to Acaville, we were like, no, let's everybody watch over there because they can clearly tell the story way better than I can. And, you know, they, they sang to an empty Lincoln Theater and they brought in guests over video. And what concert would you come to where you had big names like Aloe Black just kind of popping into a Sweet Honey in the Rock concert? I mean, it was, it was cool. I would have loved to be there in person. I love being in a room with them. But it was special. And, you know, they raised money for a good cause. And they got to have special guests that they otherwise would have never had. And I think to that end, one of the things that I'm excited for is to explore the opportunity of providing access for artists to have couch concerts or other sorts of when small groups are allowed to get back together again and give them an opportunity to share their music on a larger platform. In addition to the people who know them, to give them a platform for other people who love acapella but maybe don't know that this group is out there doing that. And that's one of my personal missions with Acaville is to to help support that idea. And I think that's one of the ways that we can support the community during this time. That's such a noble, noble idea. I love that idea, Rachel. And one other thing with this innovation thing, right? It makes you think differently. And so even with Women of the World, we started a series called Knock Knock. And the, the idea was, you know, these intimate moments, but you actually, you know, knock knock into someone's house. And then we had thematic based on Online concerts and the, the one that's coming up in July at the end of July will be related to Black Lives Matter and we're trying to see if we can get two people from the black community from the United States but from different parts of the United States and then maybe two people from the continent of Africa to play and sing and also do spoken word and tell some stories and I mean stories are everything everything stories make actual change happen because you relate they make everything accessible you know Amanda talking to us about Moroccan food I mean already that made me you know feel more connected to you in just that little moment because I just watched this thing about Morocco on Netflix and so you know I've been feeling that and you're like boom you said Moroccan food you said couscous <laughs> and I'm like yes okay you know we are gonna have a deeper conversation about that at some time because I would never have known that right. you know you're into that the little stories and the little experiences are coming out much more now because maybe we're listening a little bit more. Maybe there's too much to listen to, but at least some beautiful things are also passing through. Yeah. And, you know, I think because there's a lot of questions as to, you know, why now? Why is everybody all of a sudden anti-racist and very vocal about it, especially 
white people. And, you know, I think we've all slowed down. There's not much to talk about besides the virus. And now people have time to listen. They're not running. They're not busy with their regular lives. I mean, people are still busy, but not in the way that we used to be. And it's giving us time to focus. I feel like in some ways, there's more like headspace for it, right? Like, because you're not so focused on everything else that's going on in your own personal life. And so, so inwardly turned, you have an opportunity to, to look outward and see what's going on out there and, and care about it. Yeah, totally. And I think the whole Corona pandemic or the COVID-19, you know, pandemic made the entire world rethink its priorities, right? The entire world, literally overnight, it wasn't war that brought us to our knees. It was a virus, you know, it was health. And it's a, it's not only that maybe we have more, somewhat more mental space. I think we're just a little more vulnerable right now. And when you're vulnerable already, other people's vulnerabilities and sufferings also get amplified. I think you feel that more. It's not only that we have time. I think we are feeling a shared suffering globally in some ways. There's a lot of domestic abuse that's going on right now. There's a lot of people who do not have income because they've lost jobs or, you know, musicians especially have, have lost jobs. And I think that is a big part of why also we're listening because we're feeling it, maybe some of us for the first time. It's an important time to be alive. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Annette, I think that Rachel and I are like, let's keep talking. I can see it in her face. But that was a perfect way to wrap up this. And we'll have to have you back to talk more, hopefully, once we're all back out and living more of our normal, quote unquote, lives. But you've given us a lot of perspective to think about. And we really appreciate you coming on the show today. Really appreciate both of you, Amanda and Rachel. Thank you for this. It's such a, it's a beautiful, noble service I think and it's so lovely that this platform exists and may we continue to raise up any voices of anyone who's marginalized until it becomes a new normal and we don't have to do it anymore until we can just be, be people but until then let us keep on keeping on so thank you for providing a space for women specifically I so 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 appreciate it and admire and respect the work you do it means a lot to be here thank you Thank you so much. We'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.